Welcome back to the PGA Players Podcast. This is your host, Aaron Goldberg, Certified Financial Planner and Private Wealth Advisor at AWN Capital. Today, we got a good podcast. We're going to go into private real estate investing. And lucky for you, you don't have to listen to me the whole time. We got two great guests, uh, Dan Kennedy and Peter Tomasulo, who are in the real estate industry and are going to walk us through some of the uh, best practices when it comes to learning about and new investments in private real estate, finding the best opportunity for yourself in your situation, and then finding a partner that you can trust not only now, but in the future and make sure that you're finding the right deals for what you're looking for. So guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, both are former professional athletes that have gotten into real estate. So I'm going to let them do their introductions, tell us a little bit about themselves and uh, how they got into real estate. So Dan, why don't you lead us off? Well, Aaron, thanks for, thanks for having us on. Um, Dan Kennedy, I uh, have a real estate investment shop called Driven Capital Partners. And this, Aaron, as Aaron mentioned, I, I played professional soccer for 12 years. Um, and as a soccer player, you just, you don't make that much money. And I was always focused on what my transition looked like out of the game. And I, at the time, what I wanted to do was create a small real estate portfolio that created passive income for me. And, and it was really that, that simple. And so I used real estate as an investment vehicle to try to free up myself. So when I retired, I didn't have to go take a job. I could be a little bit more selective on what I wanted to do. So I was predominantly buying fix and flip single family homes, rent, fixing them and then renting them out and just creating a couple hundred bucks of cash flow every month on, on every deal that I did. Um, fortunately, I played longer than I expected to uh, for being a pretty average soccer player. Um, but the reality is, is you, you never make as much money as you probably deserve to make and your career goes really quick. So that's why I was excited to, to jump on with you, Aaron, and just speak to your audience a little bit about what are you doing today in order to prepare for tomorrow or next year? And for, for athletes in particular, um, it's quite tricky when you retire and you're in your 30s. And now you need to go reestablish yourself in some new career if you decide to get out of the game. And you go from making great money to going into some entry-level job. And that, that is the, the trickiest thing you can do. So with, with good planning and investing, um, you can make that transition seamless. And, the, and the, the great comparison for the person that's not a professional athlete is just thinking about retirement in general. And when you retire at 55 or 60, when, whenever it may be, um, what you want is some consistent uh, income or some fixed income that you can lean on in retirement and not necessarily um, drop your quality of life. You, you're allowed to go out and continue to do the things that you want to go do and you enjoy. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's when we look at helping professional athletes not only map out their current situation, but more importantly, their future situation, it's really identifying ways that we can take advantage of the opportunities they have now and leverage that into income sources in the future because it's such a unique 
uh, income pattern that athletes have compared to the general public. So you you have to find those solutions that are completely different than uh, the general public may be used to uh, to finding for themselves. So. Pete, we, we have a little bit more in comment uh, on the, from the golf course. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about kind of your background and, and how you got into real estate as well? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's always good to reconnect from our, uh, you know, our prior careers. Um, you know, I think Dan, Dan echoed a lot of the same or said the same stuff that I want to kind of repeat, I guess. Um, we've kind of ended up in a similar spot, but kind of gone a different, different uh, round way to get there. Um, Dan was a little bit self-deprecating there talking about how, you know, he didn't think his career was going to be as long as it is. I'm going to go the other way. I, I, I thought I was going to have this long, super successful career on the PGA tour. So I, I grew up in Long Beach, California. I went to, went to Berkeley and played college golf up at Cal. Um, gaucho. I'm a gaucho. I know, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, ask, after ask coach about, about why I didn't go to Cal. Oh man, we're going to go there. <laughs> Cause Peter was already there. Yeah. Um, and so after, uh, after Cal, um, you know, I thought, I kind of thought I was going to have this really long career on the PGA tour and I really didn't th honestly think that much about what life looked like after golf. I didn't know when it was going to happen. I thought I was going to play till I was 50 years old and then I was just going to be able to do whatever I wanted. Um, I had some injuries. I didn't compete as well as I thought I would. Once I got to the top level, um, I played a few years on the PGA tour and didn't, didn't do as well as I thought I would. Um, and then all of a sudden I got to my late thirties. I have a family. Um, and I was just, you know, in a little bit of shock. It's over a long period of time. It's not just like this sudden moment, but I got to a point where life after golf looked like it was going to be more intriguing to me than life in golf. And, but at that point, I didn't have a lot of real world experience in a career, in a job. I did not want to go teach golf for a living. So I was in this position where I had to find a, a, a path that I was genuinely interested and excited about because I do know you have to have some excitement and some, you know, passion for what you're doing in order to be successful. So real estate was like, a, it, was, it was an easy path for me. I wanted to go down that road in some capacity. I was always interested in, you know, I think even from the college days, I rented a place from a buddy of mine's parents. I, and it kind of everybody did that up in Berkeley. And, you know, we paid this exorbitant amount of rent to the landlord for a place to live. And I was always fascinated just with that model. I didn't know what it looked like as a career, but I was fascinated with it. And through kind of missed opportunities over my earning years, of making investments or, you know, I thought about buying a duplex and never pulled the trigger in Long Beach. And, you know, there's a kind of missed opportunities kind of led me down this path of, I really should have gone down there earlier. So I'm going to dive headfirst in now. Um, and I work, uh, so I, I talked to one of the most successful guys I know in the real estate world that I've met through golf and talked to him about a, a career path in, at his firm. And he gave me an opportunity so I work for a, a guy named Frank Surian, a company called Lion Living, um, a private real estate shop that uh, owns and operates and develops uh, multifamily properties, mostly, uh, mostly in Southern California and all over the country. Um, but it's a great shop and, you know, really excited to be kind of diving into this new career. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, a few 
points that I want to bring out of that is I think, Dan, what you said with, hey, you know, I, I feel like I was um, just making it or, you know, to, to use your Peter's words, uh, self-deprecating. Um, I think you're in the minority in terms of profession, a lot of professional athletes, you know, whether it's outward or not have this inner confidence, that's what helps get them there. And so they think they're going to be at the top of their game for a long, long time. So what we tend to see is more what Peter was saying, where, hey, you know what, I thought I was going to be a star, I thought I was going to make a bunch of money, and I really wasn't gonna have to worry about it, I, you know, get to 50 and would have made millions of dollars, I'd have plenty in the bank and really wouldn't have to worry about retirement. When in reality, it may not be the talent that gets in the way. Sometimes it's an injury. Sometimes it's just life. Sometimes we just don't perform the way we expect to. And we do need to have something to fall back on. So I think it's an important uh, takeaway to understand that it's never too early to think about your future. Because not only is that going to help maximize now and the present and give you more confidence to perform at your best right now. But it also is a good backup plan so that you don't have to worry about it as much if that does happen. You know, same thing happened to me. I, I didn't get to the quite to the level that Peter did, but I uh, got hurt and all of a sudden my world was turned upside down and I, I didn't have anything to fall back on. So it's starting from square one and figuring out what is that new passion? Because I think the other thing that I want to take away from that is you didn't want to go coach golf and neither did I we were seen as experts in our field there. And all of a sudden you take a step back and you have to become an expert in your field again. That is a new field. Usually for myself, it's wealth management for you guys, it's real estate. And so that takes some, not only time, but some learning and the right mentors. And it's almost like you're starting over. And so you have to figure that out and have the right people to work with. And I think that's, what's so unique about you guys is Peter, like you said, you found your mentor and and started to work for him because you knew how successful he was. Dan, in previous conversations, we've talked about the people that you worked with in the past, whether fully as business partners or just under or gaining knowledge from. So I think that's a really, really important takeaway for, for the, the guys listening, whether it's guys that are just getting into professional golf, whether they're towards the end of their careers or whether they're in the prime of their careers or whether they're a different professional athlete. I, I get these calls um, way too frequently where it's a, it's a friend, it was an ex-teammate, uh, a colleague that they're like, you know, I can play one more year and just kind of extend it and be on a team and make some money, but I got to pick up my family and move and I don't know what I'm going to do next. And, you know, so this was for me, um, I was at the Galaxy and they were just like, you're, you're not going to play here anymore. Uh, you can go to Minnesota. And I was 34 years old as a goalkeeper, really young, really young as a goalkeeper. <laughs> and I was uh, getting my MBA at USC as, while I was playing. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm done. And that th this is about taking control of the, of the big decisions in your life, really. And a big component of that is financial control and, and what you can now go and do because you've been smart with your money. So, I mean, that's where, where Peter and I are in our business world today is trying to educate folks that we've been in their shoes before and say, Hey, this is a great avenue to start investing in or continue to invest in. That's going to generate some reoccurring in income. It's going to be a, a great um, store of wealth. And we're, we're in a very uncertain world. 
Um, and it's actually a quite exciting world to work in as well. So if you're if your career does not lie within the sport that you are living in every single day, then there's also great opportunity for a little bit of education while you invest and maybe a future opportunity when you're done playing. Yeah, it, absolutely. I think the, the amount of calls I'm sure you get, I'm sure Peter gets, and I know I've gotten from, from our uh, peers that are starting to come into this situation. It, it's, we all find ourselves in the same boat. Um, it's it's the very few percentage of uh, guys that make a, a long-term career out of it where they don't have to do anything afterwards and they're set for life. And even those guys, they need to find these types of investments to maximize their, their impact, whether it's on their family or their community. So they may not be involved in terms of the day-to-day -day operations, but uh, they sure is, they sure need to find the right partners to to invest with. So as you hit on, one of the big things we pride ourselves on, not only on the podcast, but just as uh, wealth advisors is educating our, you know, our colleagues and our, uh, our peers. So let's get into this is a series that we're doing right now in, in the private uh, investment world. So we're, we've been talking about not only real estate, but venture capital, private equity, hedge funds as well. Let's get into some of the uh, the terms and, and education behind real estate. So the people listening can start to learn a little bit more about what not only what they should be looking for, what types of deals are out there and what may be right for them. So Peter, why don't you lead us off if you can let us know, you know, what are the different types of private real estate ventures that they can get into? And maybe kind of a, a brief synopsis of, you know, what what they each entail in terms of timeline and and uh, how risky they may be or, or what their, uh, return potential may be. Okay. Um, well, so my, my expertise or my knowledge over the last couple of years, I'd say is, you know, m mainly in the multifamily space because that's, that's where we're operating. So, um, I'm not gonna, you know, try to entertain that I, I know everything about all the different asset classes, but the multifamily space has been, you know, the apartment space is, you know, kind of considered one of the most consistent, reliable, safe real estate investment asset classes. Um, within multifamily, there's a, there's a lot of different avenues there, you know, there's kind of four specific ones I'd, I'd kind of touch on. Um, the first one would be a core asset, uh, a core investment, I should say then value add, a development, and then land entitlement. Um, core investment, if you were going to think of it, uh, would kind of be a nice, safe, uh, reliable, maybe a high barrier at an entry market, you know, a Newport Beach or and a um, already stabilized property. There's already residents living there. There's not a lot of value add that you can create. There's not a lot of improvements you need to make at the property. But it's a nice, safe place that you know is always going to be a desirable place to live. Those investments, you might not have as great a rate of return as a like cash on cash investment, um, which would just be defined as the what you earn based what what you earn in cash flow based on divided by your initial investment. So the core investment is you know the most stable and safe uh, asset class, but it also provides kind of the limited returns in that in that same field. Uh, value add, a little bit more uh, capital intensive than the core investment, 
uh, but it's kind of, it's usually a property that needs some cleaning up, needs some fixing up. And as you do that, you're going to raise, you're going to raise rents associated with how you have, uh, renovated the property or improved the property. And then, you know, you're going to target a, a higher rate of return on those investments, but there's, there's more capital that needs to be invested to go into those. And, you know, you, you expect a higher return. And then the next scale down uh, up would be uh, development, a little bit higher risk. You're going to see um, less, you know, you're not going to see any return for a few years as the project is being built, but you're looking to see any, de any developer going into a project thinks they can build it for cheaper than they can buy and renovate for. So you're going to see a bigger pop once you are able to operate the property and you're able to get residents in, but you're not going to see value for a couple of years and you're not going to see a return for a couple of years. And then the land entitlement phase gets a little bit more complicated, but um, every city has zoning restrictions, whether they want their properties to be retail, hospitality, uh, multifamily, just single family residential. And you can create a lot of value with um, re-entitling certain pieces of land. And so those pieces of land, when you do that, it's risky because you don't know if you're going to get through those process, but they can, uh, they can provide quick upside returns um, that are more significant than the, you know, the stable operating assets. So I know that's a kind of, <laughs> it's a brief summary of four different asset types with, or investment types within our asset classes. Um, but I think it's important for someone that's kind of venturing down the private real estate investment path to really understand what each of the, what they're getting into the risks associated with each ones and, you know, kind of the upside return, upsize returns associated with the risk. Aaron, just to, just to let me piggyback on that real quick. So we, we, what, what Peter said about the apartment space is, is spot on. And for an entry level investor, how we try to explain it is, is think about, think about investing in, in, in real estate. And if, when you purchase that piece of property, you're expecting some type of cash flow out of it, then that is a stabilized investment, right? We, if, if upon the acquisition, you're expecting cash, reoccurring cash flow immediately, that is very stable. Uh, if you are purchasing a piece of land that has nothing on it and you want to build it, that's a pretty risky proposition because you don't know how long the entitlement process is going to take. And so you should expect a higher return because you're going to, you're going to invest in this land. You're, you're going to incur some planning costs. So nothing on that land is making you money. So that's why you should, you should, as an investor, expect a higher return. You're taking on bigger risk. And then you have development, which is some period of, of pause while you build it. And it, it, eventually a, a large windfall of return. Um, so it's really, really well explained. And I always try to like break it down very simply of just think about if you are going to go make an investment in real estate, how are you getting paid? It's all about the cap focusing on how the cash flows back into the investor pocket. Yeah, no, that's a great breakdown. And I think, uh, we keep throwing around the word risk. Another word for that, or another way you could phrase that is uncertainty. So if there's any amount or whatever amount of uncertainty is going on in the investment, you ideally or you should be compensated for that. So 
obviously a, 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 a core asset or a core investment, like a fully functioning turnkey type of property, there's less uncertainty than a development or even entitlement. And so for more uncertainty, you if you do get compensated, if it does pan out, you're going to get compensated with much more return. So I think that makes a, um, it, it gives everybody an idea of where these returns are going to come from, because that's really important. Um, what other Dan, what other types of private real estate investments are out there um, besides the multifamily space? Um, and we don't have to get into all of them, but maybe just a quick hit list of what's out there. What are people investing in? I think the multifamily space is probably the most common and most uh, familiar to most to, to the general public. Yeah, I think I think apartments are the easiest for people to understand. And and if you talk about core location, uh, as Pete referenced, people are always going to need a place to live in San Diego. And Santa Barbara, like you can get into these markets where there's just no other place to build. So owning apartments can be uh, a, just a very safe place to park your money. Um, but we look, uh, Driven Capital Partners is is what we call, we call ourselves an opportunistic investment shop. Uh, we're not going to hang our hat on doing one thing like building a couple hundred apartments in Reno, Nevada, like Lion Living does. We don't have the ability, we don't have the expertise, the experience to do that. But what we want to look at is kind of trends in the marketplace of what's happening. And if you think about the impacts of COVID um, on real estate, well, let's talk about asset classes. Hospitality is an asset class, hotels, motels. Uh, that industry has been hit extremely hard. Well, maybe there's opportunity or we're starting to see it in that space now. Um, I'm not dipping my toe in the water yet, but the next asset class that's been hit really hard is office space. And office space is pretty broad. And Pete can talk about all the different types of apartments that we were willing to invest in. I mean, office, now you have the WeWorks of the world. You have traditional office space. You have small retail and, and restaurants and this type of office space, right? So pretty broad range. And then industrial warehouse sits in a, in a asset class of, it, of its own as, as well. And then storage units has become a, a really safe investment um, that there's expert operators. So if I'm advising uh, somebody, what I would say is what you wanna do is go find somebody that has a built-in track record in whatever asset class you're looking to invest in. Apartments, industrial warehouse have been historically the most consistent performers across all of those asset classes. Perfect, yeah, thanks for, for telling us about the other, other asset classes that are out there. What, Dan, what are some of the advantages or reasons that like a high net worth individual or family is, is using private real estate? And, you know, I'll, I'll touch on why athletes that fits in for them, but you can, but also touch on that as well, since, you know, as, as we talked about, all three of us were athletes and then got in this space and, and that's why you're, you're here. So, yeah, well, so we, we work with a lot of high net worth individuals. Uh, that's just the nature of how we're going to always do business. We, we need investors to, to allow us to go and invest deals, invest in deals and, and buy new opportunities. Um, why would they choose a, a, a private investment shop rather than say going and investing in, in a REIT, right? Well, I can, I have, you know, 20% of my portfolios invested in a REIT. Well, 
what's that REIT invested in, right? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, they say they're a retail REIT. And so this is where you as the investor, as a high net worth individual, you have a say. You can dive in and you can go meet with the team. You can, you can build a relationship with the sponsor and, and look at what they've done in the past. And you can actually go tangibly touch those assets that they've already built or already own. And then you can, you can kind of start to get a sense of, okay, I, I think I understand this business plan. It's not rocket science. We're buying, we're buying a really rundown apartment complex in a, in a really good location. And we're going to invest $20,000 per unit to reposition it so that those units are now some of the nicest units in town. Okay. I think I can wrap my head around that. Right. The other, the other reason high net worth individuals invest with groups like us is because of the tax benefits and real estate is, is a, is a, is a fantastic, the, the IRS incentivizes people to invest in real estate. And when you acquire a property, you may invest $100,000. What we typically see is if we have a $100,000 investor, their year one depreciation is sometimes sixty dollars to $75,000 in losses. Well, those losses offset the incomes of the property. And so we call them, we call them phantom losses. Uh, disclaimer, I'm not a CPA. We're not tax advisors. But the benefits of investing in real estate are real and they are they allow for really consistent returns and then when you layer in the tax benefits of it it becomes really attractive. And so we can go, we could have another podcast just about the tax benefits of investing in real estate. And but this is this is the layer. It's like, well, why would I go instead of investing in the in in the equity markets and owning a REIT? Well, you 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 can now build rapport and trust with a sponsor. And if something, if something goes right, something goes wrong, you have somebody to call, right? If something goes wrong at the REIT, well, sorry, you know, there's, that's, you're, you're, out of, you're out of the deal or you've just lost a lot of money. Um, so this, this is it. It's, 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 uh, we are, um, relation, we're a relationship business. It's how we buy properties. It, it, we, we work with brokers and, and work on that relationship. We work on the relationship the same way with the investors. Um, and our shops are far more efficient in operation than any big REIT. So when you when when you run a, a development in Reno and you're a shop like Lion Living, you can do it more affordably than some big publicly traded REIT that builds market rate housing. They, 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 that's their specialty, right? So all of, all of that savings and expenses gets passed through to the investor. So really you typically, what you, what this weighs out to is that the, the investment shops that have a good track record and are successful will always provide a more consistent, higher return than a, than a REIT. Yeah, it definitely is. And uh, one of the things that Dan touched on that I think is, you know, really important is, the idea that you, you investing in, in, a, in, a, in a large REIT, you might not know a split specific location that they're targeting or a specific deal that they're, you know, they're intrigued by. Right. And as we invest and we pre present opportunities to our investors, it, you can pick and choose which one you want to get in, involved in. Like Dan's saying, you know, we've got a big project up in Reno, but if a particular investor isn't interested in getting involved in Reno, well, we've got another one in San Diego, actually, that might be more intriguing to you. And, and 
you're able to pick and choose as you go and invest the amounts that you want to invest. And you've got a trustworthy sponsor that you know is kind of is picking and choosing these for you. We're not just blindly going into Reno or blindly going into San Diego. There's a, there's a story behind each one of those and a story behind why we think what we're building is going to be very valuable. Um, we don't decide to, to deploy X amount of dollars in a year, or we don't decide to, you know, we're going to do Y amount of deals in a year. We're going to pick and choose and find which ones we think are going to be lucrative for the investor and lucrative for the company to go dive into. And I think that's, you know, the transparency and the ability to understand the deals and talk to people that are involved in them, I think is really important if you're, if, if you're curious or interested in, pa- in investing in private real estate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think two, two main things there. One, uh, you know, if you've listened to our podcast, you understand that our belief on the public markets is, you know, we're going to get the most out of them that we can, but we don't believe that active management and high fee funds are going to be the way to do that. We just, the markets are efficient because everybody has the same information and we're not over time as a long-term investor, we want to position ourselves in the right way so that we can maximize our returns on a risk adjusted basis. But we're not going to be able to find anomalies in the stock market because it's public and everybody has that information. On the flip side, we do think that we can find value on the private side. And so we that's where working with uh, experts in their field, whether it be venture capital or real estate, they're able to find these deals and source these deals based on not only their relationships, but actual access. And that's where being a professional athlete can make a difference. We're starting to see athletes get access to some of these funds that 10, even five years ago, but 10, 15 years ago, the only people that could get into them were billionaires or the, you know, the huge hedge funds or the, um, endowment funds of Yale or Stanford, stuff like that. Now athletes are the ones that they want because they know that they'll get some publicity out of it. But it also creates a good opportunity for you to get in on some of these deals that everyone, or I shouldn't say everybody, but the people that look at them know it's a great deal, but it's too late for everybody else because the private deal's already gotten it. I know I've talked to both of you about you're able to source deals off market that don't even hit the public market. So it's already done. You've already been able to source a deal get the terms that you think are preferable to not only you, but your investors. And one of the things that you both have mentioned is a lot of these general partners in the real estate deals, you're investing with the other partners. You're investing your own dollars in it. So it's not like it's, hey, we're going to take on investor money and we're going to go find something to invest it in. It's, hey, if we believe in it enough that we're going to put our dollars into it, then we're going to find other people to invest with us so that we can do a better job of it. Yeah. So you said um, the publicly traded markets are very efficient, right? They're very, we, you, everybody has the same information. It's happening in real time. Real estate is, is the complete opposite. It's very inefficient, right? So we, we look at, I, we operate a lot of apartments out of Santa Barbara. This is a, a market niche that we have a stronghold on because of relationships, so we talk about off-market deals all the time, right? Well, there's a there's an estate, they're liquidating all of their apartment deals. Dan, we're not going to take seven apartment deals to market at the same time in roughly the same neighborhood, right? Look at these deals, let me know, know which ones you want to go tour and if you want to buy any of them. And when I talk about in so th- this this is a uh, informational advantage 
through a relationship, right? Like I, I have the opportunity to go buy seven apartment buildings that Peter doesn't have. He doesn't have that advantage, right? So this is, this is how we compete, right? And then when we talk about the inefficiencies in the marketplace, there can be an apartment right next door to the, to the one that I'm looking at that has, that's identical structure of the building, but has twice the net operating income. And they're right next door. And so all we, that this is our perfect storm, right? And, and this is where a good sponsor makes money on the purchase. And, and to your point, our money is always the first money in the deal. And so typically that says there's no way Peter, his team, me, my team are presenting a deal to any investor unless we think it's a winner. The other thing that we you you hit on was was the tax benefits, and I think it's really important for people to understand that there are a lot of tax benefits that go into real estate, and it's really important that you understand how it affects you. You mentioned you're not a CPA, um, you you aren't the tax team, not yet. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, it's I mean, and that's why we have CPAs on our team because it we're gonna get benefits, but then you know when it sells, we want to make sure that we don't get that. Uh, recapture of the deep depreciation. So we want to make sure that we can either 1031 it, or we know that we time it up with, hey, our contract's up in three years. So we're okay if this thing comes full cycle in four or five years, or I'm going to retire in two years. So I know that's going to happen. So it's really, there are some nuances there. So if you know what you're doing and have a team that can help you with it, you can really take advantage of those, those tax advantages. Um, but to just go in blind, that's where you really want to make sure you have somebody helping you because it, it, I don't want to say there's tax traps, but there are. I mean, there you could be getting a huge tax advantage up front, but then not realize that you're going to be paying for it on the back end if you don't know what you're doing. So um, I think it's an important note for, for people to understand uh, that it, it's good to, good to know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. And the, back to the, the, the function of, of educating yourself and, and when you make your investments. And typically what we do is we, we have what we call our partner is our, the CPA firm that uh, operates all of our LLCs and all of our entities and kicks out all the K-1s to our investors. And so anytime an investor has a question, we're like, hey, we are not the experts, but you need to go talk to them. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Important to, important to note that disclaimer when yeah. talking any tax yeah. stuff. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm not a CPA either. That's that's why we have them on our team instead. So. Right. Um, no, this is great. I, I think the last thing I want to hit on today, and I, I mean, we talked about this. We could go for probably three hours on this. Um, but is is when a when somebody's looking at a new deal, someone brings it to you as the investor, whether it's a general partner at a real estate firm, whether it's a friend that's getting it, that's getting in on the deal and says, hey, you should check this out. Like I'm putting a bunch of money in. You should, too. What are what are the things that an investor should be looking at um, so that they make sure that they're at least starting to do their due diligence and then passing it off to whether it's their team, their their wealth management team, or somebody they trust, whether it's their CPA um, or somebody else in their world that, that can help them really evaluate that uh, investment opportunity. The first thing I think is, you know, is, is what we just got done talking about is if the sponsor's putting in money into the deal. I think it's a very, very important thing to take note of and understand that uh, the sponsor believes in the deals enough that they're putting their own money. They're not just raising your money to, to buy a project or to build a project. Um, you know, at our firm, our sponsors put in 10 to 20% of every deal 
Dan's firm does the same thing. And it's just an, it's an important component to what you're getting into because you know they have skin in the game. Um, the other thing is, is, is you really have to understand what your risk profile is and understand the way that you are going to get paid off of this investment. Like I said from the beginning, the, you know, the development deals might be a little complex and they might take a little while. You have to understand that you're not going to get a, dollars back for a couple of years and what that expectation looks like. You, you do, these, um, these investments are illiquid investments um, that you are not you know, able to realize until a, a, a much later point um, in a lot of them. And it, it's very important to understand that. And then as deals are presented to you, I think it's really important to understand the, uh, the assumptions that go into the returns that are being presented to you. Anybody uh, with an Excel spreadsheet can make a deal look good. Um, I didn't actually know what that meant uh, a couple of years ago before I got into, into the office world. But, it, you know, it, my, what I'm trying to say is that you can assume astronomical rents. You can assume very cheap renovation costs. You can assume very cheap development costs. There's all these assumptions that go into a return profile uh of a potential investment. And I think it's, it's important to ask a lot of questions of the sponsor. If you're getting involved in a deal, ask questions. It's your money going into this deal. So it's, there's no dumb questions. Ask how realistic the rents are going to be to achieve. Ask how realistic the renovation plan is going to be. Ask how realistic the timeline for that's going to be and the occupancy and the, the expenses as you manage this property. There's so much that goes in. There's a lot of little levers that end up getting you to this potential return. And I think it's really important to ask questions about the track record, the, the history of what you've executed and what assumptions go into what, what your investment looks like. Yeah. I, I, the track record is, um, is probably the first question I'd ask is like, Hey, I, I have guys send me deals. I like, Hey Dan, I'm looking at this, um, hospitality play in Tahoe, you know, and, got my buddies doing it. I'm like, well, what has he done before? You know, and he's there, oh, this is, you know, this new venture <laughs> and it's going to be great. You know, I'm like, well, it might be, you know, I don't know. It might, it might be great, but man, I would really want to be like, okay, let's say his name is Ryan. Ryan, can I come see something else that you've done before? Or can you show me what you've done before and how it's worked out? Can I, Pete, can I uh, get a couple of references of investors that you have that I can talk to? I just want to, I just want to know, like, have you, how many deals have gone bad and what happened? Right. What happened? Yeah. I want to know. How you make sure it's not going to happen again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what was the recourse to the investor? Th this is actually one, one tidbit. Um, when I think about recourse, the, one of the greatest benefits small, shops like ours provide investors is that they are completely passive. So they don't sign on the, the recourse uh, on the loans. They don't even have to qualify for the loan. So you, we've all, you apply for a car, you apply for a house, whatever. When you go through the lending process, it is brutal. Well, we do that for you. <laughs> and th th there's, a, there's a real valuable service there, right? Um, it's also our job to carve out the business plan and execute it. But yeah. we report to you, the investor. And typically the reports come quarterly for us. Distributions come come quarterly on on the majority of uh, investments we make. Um, but yeah, asking questions, 
rapport. Like, do you trust these people? If you get any inkling that eh, this feels a little bit slippery or slimy, abort mission, mission, <laughs> abort, mission, abort. I mean, trust your gut. Yeah, yeah. Trust your gut. And, and yeah. it's true. You know, like people typically these types of investments, you're investing 50, 100, 250 grand, you know, at a time. And so it's a lot of money and you, you need to be able to call somebody when things, you know, seem a little bit awry. So when Pete kicks out an investor update, I want to be like, um, I don't really understand this. Can you give me a call? You know, and then he can explain it. Yeah, I think a perfect example is what we're experiencing right now in COVID. You know, when when COVID hits in March of last year, we had investors calling left and right asking how this was going to affect their investment. And I was able to answer the phone and talk them through it, what properties we're seeing difficulty with, what properties we didn't think were going to be impacted that hard. And I, I think it's important to be able to have that transparency and someone who you can who you can talk to when, you know, Inevitably, over the course of a real estate investment or a real estate private firm's career, there's going to be some stuff that goes yeah. bad. There just has to be. Yeah. And there's going to be some unexpected things that you want you, you want a trustworthy sponsor to be able to handle and have experience handling and have the smarts and wits about them to figure it out. I mean, I think what you let off with, Peter, on, on the ways that you can evalu first evaluate the investment and then, Dan, what you said with going into like, what is their actual track record makes a whole lot of sense for, for guys that are, especially if you're just getting into real estate investing, for you to be able to look and see, to decipher what what's what and, and what should I even spend a little bit of time looking at? Because once you get into this, I mean, you can find thousands of deals if you want to. And that's what the best shops do is they look at hundreds and right. hundreds of deals and pick one, two, three th deals that they want to do because they feel like this is the best opportunity for them. The one thing I'll add is from a overall financial structure standpoint, it's really important to understand where it fits in too. So it, a lot of that has to do with where you're at in your career, what you have saved up, what, what you have in terms of your needs. So what we always are looking at is when it comes down to your essential spending, like what do you need to pay the bills, just the little stuff, get by, we want to make sure that's covered before we start investing in anything that's illiquid, risky, um, stuff that's that's out of the public markets that we can't easily access. And then as soon as we have that covered, now we're going to look at how do we optimize our returns? How do we make sure that we uh, get out there and not only get the best out of the public markets, but then try to add value with the private markets. And, and that's where, you know, what we've talked about today with real estate investing can be a huge value add to, to athletes, especially because you, you find yourself in that position for the most part, pretty early in your life, um, much more early than a lot of other people that may find themselves in that high net worth category where they're going to have more money at some point than they're ever going to spend in their lifetime. But a lot of times they accumulate that by the time they're, maybe 60 or 65. And then all of a sudden they right. have this opportunity for golfers, for at professional athletes that may happen at 30. That may happen at 25 for some of the people we know, you know, it, it may happen at 35 or 40, mm -hmm. but once you get there, it's, it's really important to take advantage of that so that you can set yourself up for the future. And if you aren't going to find yourself in that situation, then you look at what we were talking about earlier how do we start to make sure that we're going to develop income streams in the future? So when I can't play anymore, whether it's, you know, trying to block the ball from getting past you into the net or trying to get the stupid little white ball into the hole, uh, then I, wish I did that a little bit better. 
I, I wish I got the ball in the hole a little bit better. Um, <laughs> then you got to make sure that that we know how we're going to derive income and pay for our, you know, our families and make sure that we get by. So I think it, it's a super interesting uh, landscape to to explore. And I love when when my clients and and the guys that I that I advise uh, come to me with new opportunities because it means it's a new new shop, a new team that I get to vet and talk with and, and, and see what they're all about, what their expertise is, what their niche is, because there are going to be different niches. There's going to be different, uh, expertise on the, on the upside, what they do really do well. Um, and then stuff that they stay away from, and that may be perfect for this investor and it may be absolutely wrong for another investor and then vice versa. So I think that's where, you know, it's really important that, as a, as a sponsor, as you said, you, you stay true to what, what you do well. And that's a, what you guys have, have done really well in the past. Yeah. Well, thanks, Aaron. This has been, uh, this has been great. And you just, you just let us know when, uh, we, we can come back on and, uh, and, and I mean, whether it's review a deal or, or get a little bit smarter on, on the tax benefits of real estate investing, but this has been a productive conversation and, and, and just thanks for, thanks for having us. Absolutely. We appreciate you having us, Aaron. It's always good to catch up. Yeah, no, I, it's been great to have you guys on. I'm glad uh, everyone didn't have to just listen to me talk So uh, and, and look at me. So um, if uh, I hope everyone enjoyed this. If you're tuning in, uh, if you're on YouTube, give us a like. Um, if you're on uh, listening to the podcast, uh, if you could rate us, that really helps get this information in front of uh, your peers and, and other people that should be hearing it. Um, if you have any direct questions, as I, I hope some of you have some direct questions after this, um, you can email me at agoldberg at awmcap.com. Uh, and we'll do, uh, I'll be able to either respond directly to you or route you to Peter or Dan. Um, and we'll, we'll circle back with questions and definitely go back and do another podcast on the tax benefits. And, and like you said, Dan, maybe we, uh, rip apart a deal and show you kind of the numbers behind it and what's good, what's bad, what, what to look for, what not to look for and, and take it from there. So appreciate you guys being on. And until next time, uh, we will uh, see you then. Thanks. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized, financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.